All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic that they were interested in by and they sent to us either via the website at techgumbo.net or texting us at 225-255-0431. But this week we decided instead of doing a listener question, we just wanted to spend an entire segment on facial recognition software because there's some big things happening here just recently, and we wanted to talk about it. We've talked about facial recognition in various ways and various stages in the past, and there there was enough happening right now that we thought it was important to come back and update on where where it is right now, specifically in regards to in the criminal justice system. How, what kind of role is facial recognition playing in arrests? The first thing we wanted to talk about was what the role of facial recognition and how many people are arrested. It's kind of frightening. Back in 2018, a man was accused of stealing a pair of socks at a TJ Maxx store, but the man said he couldn't have done it because he was at the hospital three quarters of a mile away where his son was born an hour later which is a pretty solid alibi. And except they didn't buy his alibi and he was arrested and he was prosecuted and he went to jail. Yeah, he ultimately took a plea deal for time served after six months because he just wanted it to go away. What had happened was that the prosecutors had taken the security camera photo using facial recognition gone to the security guards at the time and said, is this him? And the security guards just kind of agreed to it. But that kind of suggestive line of questioning is not allowed from prosecutors. And so this guy, had he chosen to fight it out, likely would have won his case and had his conviction overturned. But he was likely poor. He didn't have the time. He didn't have the resources. And so he just wanted to go away. And so he took the plea deal. And so now he has a, a criminal conviction on his record because of facial recognition that may or may not have misidentified him. The story doesn't say it absolutely was not him, but he says it was not because he was at the hospital where his, his child was being born under a, less than a mile away. So, I mean... I, we don't know that, but we do know that if it was if it was false, if it was a false positive, this man has a, a criminal record now because of it. 
And if anything, he got lucky in this case because oftentimes prosecutors are not required to disclose when facial recognition is used to identify a criminal suspect. Defense attorneys say this puts them at a disadvantage because they can't challenge the problems with facial recognition technology if they don't know when it was used. That's right. The all kinds of rules and regulations, and we're going to talk about more of that as the segment goes on, is is being changed because of a 2016 Georgetown Center on Privacy and Technology study that said this stuff doesn't work because it, especially when everybody who's creating all of this artificial intelligence, this facial recognition, is a bunch of white guys and they're using themselves as the test images. So you don't have women, you don't have black people, you don't have Asians, you don't have Latinos in this. And so when all you have is white guys as the base of this this artificial learning, you're creating a problem. Right, because what happens is it's much less accurate at identifying other groups of people. Now, the advocates for this technology are going to say that it's gotten better since then, but their error rates, even the best algorithms, are still wrong about one in five times. And if you're telling me that you're going to pick the wrong person who committed this crime one out of five times, I don't like those odds. It is not worth the four out of five to throw away that one out of five. And fighting right facial recognition in a court is not easy. Uh, number one, not everywhere does the, the prosecutor or the police have to tell you that they they used this facial recognition software to identify you to begin with. Right. New York City has tried to put in some rules around it. They have said that uh, at least two people are required to review the results of the facial recognition scan before it's turned over to detectives, and facial recognition alone cannot be used as probable cause to carry out a search warrant. But all of that, even if it is used, sometimes they will have witnesses who they will provide a facial recognition image, and then so that way the police can say in court, oh, look, we had a witness who confirmed this, but facial recognition still played a role in the process, and that can be papered over sometimes. And, you know, we've talked about Clearview AI before on this show, and they were one of the big companies that did a lot of the facial recognition technology back in the 2014, 15, 2016 timeframes. And this is where a lot of the problems began was with Clearview AI. We've talked with them in the past, and what they set out to do is they set out to data scrape every social media company from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter, all the way to Venmo. And they attempted to collect all of these pictures of everybody in America and use them to create the most advanced facial recognition database ever. And a lot of the social media companies were not happy about this because it very clearly violates their terms of service, but Clearview AI still exists. And it's very difficult to track down exactly where it's being used. We know that some police agencies around the country are using it, but because not everyone has rules about declaring 
when they're using it, how they're using it, what technologies and softwares that they're using, it can be very difficult for us as the public to actually know when and where this is being used. But the laws are changing. Last year, the states like Utah and the states of Washington, which are two very politically different states, both passed laws that you saying that the police have to disclose that they used facial recognition software in criminal cases. Yeah, I think that's a really important point you made there is that this is not a conservative issue. This is not a liberal issue. This is criminal justice reform that everyone wants. Everyone wants to know that if they are on trial for something, that they are getting the best defense possible and that they will have their rights upheld on their day in court. And so state of Washington, very liberal, state of Utah, very conservative, and both of them agree we want more transparency around this issue. The thing that we don't want is people to believe TV shows like CSI or, or NCIS or any of those kinds of shows or, or any of the movies where they just you know zoom into somebody's doorbell camera and, and they can spot the criminal from a, a hundred yards away. And, and that's how we're going to convict somebody using that kind of technology. I have a doorbell camera. I, I can't even recognize myself walking into the door sometimes. And I know what I look like. So that's kind of frustrating to think people are going to use that that mindset. Oh, well, I saw it on CSI. It must be true. Right. That's the problem is that we are not inherently against this technology. However, the people who are using it, the analysts, the police officers, the people who are actually applying this, this skill set need to be really well trained in it. And oftentimes they're not. They need to be have realistic expectations of what they can expect of it. What are these scenarios and what is successful? What are the scenarios when it's not going to be useful? And as you pointed out, video quality, the lighting issues, distance, the certain angles of a person's face can be very different. All of these things re really play a role in it. And this tool, because there it's so uncertain right now, a lot of people, such as we've talked about in the past, cities like San Francisco and Boston have banned it and have left it banned because it's there's still too many things that could go wrong with it. A good example happened in Florida. This was a man who was convicted of selling $50 in crack cocaine, and he was convicted because of facial recognition that he went to prison. He was sentenced to eight years in prison for this. But during the trial, he he kind of started asking questions in a cross-examination of a, of a criminal analyst, and he said, tell me about your training and, and tell me, you know, what do you know about this facial recognition? And the criminal analyst had to admit she didn't understand the facial recognition program at all. Yeah, that's really big. Whenever the analyst had to testify in court, she didn't understand fully how the facial recognition program worked. That's not a great sign. We want our analysts to be really comfortable. If we're going to convict people with this technology, 
we want them to, for the same reason that DNA experts, you have people who train in this. It is a full subdivision. It's a full subdiscipline facial recognition because it's such a powerful and new and nuanced technology. We also need to make sure that our officers of the law who are going to touch this, if we even choose to allow that, that they have the proper training and information in place so that they can make good use of this technology and not bad use of it. Which brings up a real interesting article we saw. It says what the title was what to do if a cop tries to scan your face during a traffic stop. The issues that we've been talking about so far have been using facial recognition over the course of a general investigation. However, this conversation takes place in a much more real-time setting. What happens if you get pulled over for anything, for, for speeding or running a traffic light or whatever, and while you're sitting there in your car, the officer tries to take your biometric information and run a scan on you in that moment? What do we do then? Because when the cop walks up to you, if he's got this body cam on, taking full video, automatically, when the cop gets there to the window and that camera's looking in, the biometric scanning has begun. Is that camera on, on, on that cop's chest tied back to the car, which is tied back to a database? Is there, are they doing real-time scanning of you right there at, during the middle of that stop? That's an interesting question. As of right now, we, we do not believe that anyone has done this yet. However, the potential for it to happen does exist. You could, as you mentioned, place this facial recognition uh, software in that real-time stream. The question is, is what problems does that raise? Is it even legal? And what should you do? Do you sit there and say, I do not... I'll give you permission to use my biometric data. Well, is that acceptable? Are you going to know to say that? Does do, do you have the wherewithals? Have you been trained to use? What if you don't say it quite right? You kind of allude to it. Yeah, and that's that's a question. Is do you even know? Because it's one thing if the officer has to pull out the cell phone and very visibly take a picture of you. But if it's happening in that natural stream from the body camera, then you don't know and you don't get a chance to express that. And even if you are able to clearly express, I do not consent to my biometric data being taken, that probably isn't going to matter a whole lot in the moment. The best you can do is hope that later in the case that your lawyer is able to make use of that. But because this is still very unsettled, it's uncertain as to what effects that would actually have. This is just so fascinating as to where this is evolving to, so rapidly evolving. And there's another study that was done by Penn State and the University of Alabama where they were asking faculty, students, and staff, if they instead of doing a swipe card to get access to different things on the university's campuses, they were using facial recognition to do this. The, and initially, you had one group, they were really opposed to it. Another group was ambivalent about it, and another group was very much in favor of it. 
But after two weeks, things changed. They found that the people who were opposed to it were still steadfastly opposed to it. The people who had initially supported it were less supportive. And the people who were neutral accepted it, but with some reluctance. And that's not really a ringing endorsement of this technology. No, it's not. And you kind of hope that these people are going to say, oh, yeah, this was great. I loved it. And it didn't happen that way. Even the people who were really in, they were excited about the idea. The more they learned about it, were less enthused and less like, oh, you mean you can do what else with with this now that you have this? That's the, the study was really about the implementation and the execution of this technology, because when not done well, it can really highlight organizational issues, perceptions of fairness inside the company, users' concerns of privacy, data security, and mass surveillance. You know, you, you want to believe that your employer has your best interest at heart. And whenever they're doing things that you really don't like, that doesn't feel great, especially on the level of biometric data for using facial recognition. You would think that the university would ask, hey, are you guys cool with this first? And the fact that they didn't, that really undercuts a lot of trust. To paraphrase what one of the people in the study said was it was it was nice. It was convenient and it was fast to use it, but it really brought up a lot of problems. And that's that is the bottom line with this whole facial recognition thing. It's fast. It's convenient. It makes things easy, but it really makes things easy. Yeah. And to bring up a quote from one of the researchers who led the study, Technology is created by humans, and humans can be easily biased, so technology is never neutral. And I think that's one of the points that we try and make over and over again in this show, is that technology is not some magic divine rod that falls from the heavens. It is created by us and used by us, and we are imperfect. And so therefore, the technology is also imperfect. And we really need to be aware of those imperfections and understand how do they rear their ugly heads. Because technology can be good when used well and when used properly, but when used improperly, it can really be bad. There is some proposed legislation that's out there. There's one in particular in Colorado, but there's several states that are looking. They're wanting to put some more real guardrails on this technology as to where it can be used, when it can be used. If it is used, it has to be disclosed that it is being used. And so it's good that the technology is still out there, but it's even better when it's being done with with some guidelines. Absolutely. Proper care, proper guidance, transparency around all these issues. Because if the lawmakers don't understand it, how is anybody else going to understand it? How are the police officers going to understand it? How are the defense attorneys going to understand it? How are the people on trial for it going to understand it? It really is. This is such a an incredible use of, of technology that can be so good and so divisive all at the exact same time. And it's really emblematic of a lot of technology in many other places which are going through similar types of issues. This is not unique to facial recognition. 
And so it's important to do this with a lot of other things in our life. Absolutely. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net, or send us a text, 225-255-0431. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.